were about to go. <laughs> I was. <laughs> How did you... Go then, go. Oh, go ahead. You live for this. <laughs> I don't live with this. I try to get you to do it all the time. Good morning and welcome to episode... Oh, see, I should have done it. I was prepared. 362 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh, and it's email Friday. Ben, how are you? Okay. Good. Excellent. Are you looking forward to the weekend, Ben? Uh, sure. All right. Uh, so the first question is... Oh, wait. Um, Before we start, I wanted to uh, to clarify something that I meant to say yesterday, but then we had Jay on. When we were talking about the, the velocity readings for guys like Maddox and Glavin, uh, when we were talking about the, the early scouting reports for the Hall of Fame candidates, um, I should have mentioned, as I did in the, the article I wrote after that, that uh, we sort of need to convert those those velocity readings because the mm-hmm. it's on a it's sort of on a different scale. Um, I'm I'm quoting from the the preface to Dollar Sign and the Muscle, where Kevin Crane says in 1981 when I was watching games with baseball scouts, most of the men using radar relied on a brand called the Ray Gun, which registered the speed of the ball as it crossed home plate. And thus, an 86 fastball was said to be the major league average. Uh, today, almost all scouts use some variant of the jugs gun, which is not quite true, I don't think, but which registers the speed of the ball as soon as it leaves the pitcher's hand. And the difference is an added four to five miles per hour. So, uh, so Maddox's 88 that we quoted in in this, the velocity scale that we use now would be closer to, to 92 to three. Um, so that supports the idea that he. He had significantly better than average stuff as a young starter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, invalidates an awful lot of that episode. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect. <laughs> a bit. Oh, and... Uh, and also, and, not yeah. only that, but I, I believe that atmospheric changes in the Earth have actually changed how much Frank Thomas weighs. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's possible. To, um, not as small, not as big a deal, but... Uh, also... I we have both noticed that we've gotten a lot of repeat listener emails, uh, presumably from from people who have started listening to the show at at some point other than the beginning, um, and so every time we get one of those, we we have to try to remember when we talked about something, which is which is difficult. Um, but uh, I wouldn't recommend that you go back and listen to all of the old episodes and. Sam probably wouldn't even recommend that you listen to the new ones, but, but, <laughs> but I would say that if you like the listener email shows specifically, you'd probably enjoy the old ones just about as much as the new ones, um, because our answers tend to be timelessly stupid. I especially continue to love when we get an email that begins, um, you know, you'll probably never answer this. It's such an insane question, but, and then it's something that we've answered almost word for word. And I mean, it is a testament to something that, um, like for instance, two people have asked how baseball would be different if it was ran clockwise instead of counterclockwise. Yeah. And the second one could not believe that we would ever answer such a question. And we, I believe, did two episodes on it. <laughs> yeah. So we get a lot of questions, uh, like almost every week, I feel like we get a question about what if baseball were like soccer and it was relegation and mm-hmm. the, the, the good teams were, 
like the bad teams were demoted to some other league or we get questions about loaning players all the time. A lot of those. Um, so we get a lot of questions about um, we just had one this week, in fact, about uh, uh, whether like like what would happen if players had to play every position. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, you know, so, like like some variation of that, like if, if there was forced rotation, like in volleyball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we we, we love have, these. Don't we, don't yes, do not do. do not censor yourself. If if, no. you, if an idea occurs to you, send it. There is no cost uh, to emailing. It's, <laughs> yes, it's literally costs less than a dollar for us to get an email. However, uh, I don't know how much you know. You might enjoy going back and listening to the old listener email shows because. Most of our listener emails tend to be about things that are just as applicable or not applicable now as they ever were. Uh, All right. Yeah, go ahead. We're going on. Okay, so Zach, uh, Zach asks a question. Uh, let's say you became uh, in charge of baseball ops for a club. If all current general managers were available, how many of them would you prefer to hire before you went off the board and took your chances with someone who is not currently a GM? Didn't we do this one too? Did like, we? Wait a minute. Did we? I think so. This is a this is an older question. This is I stumbled upon this. Did I answer this question? I'm pretty sure we answered a version of this question. Like someone, how someone, long ago? A long time ago. Someone okay. asking like whether we would take like C- CEOs instead of general managers. Or we something. did, but that's yeah. not what this is. We talked about okay. we we did talk about whether. Uh, I believe that that question was whether you could hire everybody on earth. If, if like, if Obama would be your GM, would you take him over Ned Coletti kind of a thing? Uh-huh. And we were, we were trying to decide whether you would take, you know, whether a CEO of, of, um, you know, eBay or something would be a good GM. So this is a different question. It's not so different, is it? Well, no, because yeah, this is imagining, like, let's say, uh, you know, who's a guy you like, uh, say Matt Clintack is a guy I like. So let's say Matt Clintack is the guy I would hire if I had to hire a new GM. How many current GMs would I hire before I hired Matt Clintac? Oh, so oh, so this is baseball industry only. Uh, well, it, it's it's only the current GMs are yeah. are are being asked to be compared to, not all people in the game. So how many how many current GMs would you hire before you hired anybody who is not currently a GM? But that that includes everyone. Like Obama. Yeah. Well, sure it does, but it also includes Matt Clintac, right? Yeah. It, it includes. I mean. Oh, okay. I, so, all right. I presume so it he's could not be asking people about within Obama. baseball. Okay. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So that changes things a little bit, I guess. Um, I would. I would keep. I would choose to, or I would choose to hire. Oh. I don't know. I feel like probably the 30 people who are in charge of the 30 people who have those jobs now, probably at least uh, 20 of them have the have are are the most are currently among the most qualified baseball people to have yeah. those jobs. We're basically eliminating people who you can't hire and people who are currently uh, are above GM. Like you can't hire you can't just go get Theo because Theo doesn't right. want to want to do that anymore. Um, so yeah, of the basically we're saying of the, you know, roughly thirty most qualified people in the world, uh, roughly twenty of them are currently in the position. Uh, kind of. That's sort kind of. of <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you would hire twenty. You would say. Oh, that really? Are, is but, but, it, aren't we well, really no, because, saying uh, how many people? 
Are we really talking about how many people in baseball currently are more qualified to be GMs than yeah than current GMs? Yes, we are. Yeah, I think okay. eventually you're going to understand this question. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not this episode. Is, but... <laughs> then I don't. I don't need to hear the name, but but pick a name in your head. Just pick pick the guy you would hire if you had to hire a GM, and you couldn't hire a current GM, and you're limited to people who would actually take the job. Mm. You've got. You have a name in your head. Larry David. <laughs> I said, don't say the name, Ben. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have a name in your head? A, a baseball name in your head? Uh, sure, yes. All right. Now, how many current GMs are better than that guy? Mm. Yeah, probably like 15. Yeah, 15 seems about right. I would guess that, that the, the, the highest I would think that, you know, the name that I would come up with in my head, the highest I would probably put him is, is average. Yeah, just because... Of the benefit of experience, probably. Yeah, like probably. It, I guess my answer might be different if we were talking about a like a win now team versus a win much later team, maybe. Um, but there's there's got to be an adjustment period whenever you see some GM interviewed about what he does differently now as opposed to what he did when he first got the job. He'll talk about all the things he's learned and how much more efficient he is. Um, so there's a learning process there. So it's not a it's not saying that that the best GM candidate couldn't be as good as the best current GM, but he just wouldn't be right away. Boy, that went poorly. That question went <laughs> really badly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question is from Miles. Um, what kind of statistics would a loogie have to post in order to be a legitimate candidate for the hall? <laughs> I like this question. Uh, um, I thought you were laughing because we answered it already. <laughs> no. Good. Um, no, but I like this one. I do too. Um, so I feel like the only... kind of two different questions too. I mean, one question: if if you're asking to qualify for the hall by like kind of conventional win above replacement standards, mm-hmm. is one answer, and then likelihood of making it is is much lower and is a different question. Yeah, uh, to to qualify by the standards that we tend to to use i would say he would probably have to probably have to pitch at a high high loogie level for about 40 years mm-hmm. <laughs> if if not more um, there's just i mean i guess if you were if you were the best loogie in the league every year for 20 years mm. well mariano rivera for instance is the only reliever who's ever gotten into Hall of Fame level war uh, territory, and even he's a little low, but you give him credit for postseason, and then he he gets you know kind of over sixty, um, which is sort of the standard. And nobody else is anywhere close. I mean, you're you're talking about most guys, the the very best relievers are like in the twenties and thirties, or really twenties and and very low thirties. So basically, he would have to pitch like Mariano Rivera, and he's not going to get the innings that Mariano Rivera is going to get, and he's also not going to get the leverage, probably, that Mariano Rivera is going to get. Um, so you'd have to be better than Mariano Rivera. But, you know, Mariano Rivera is a first ballot guy, and there are, there are inferior relievers who have made it and will make it, probably. Mm-hmm. I would think that if, just as a simple answer, I would say a career with an ERA under one would do it. Yeah, that might do it. 
It's just uh, it's so only f- might, huh? You think that it's I mean, so I, few I innings. Think, I mean, I'm just it, looking it is, at like but I just think the aesthetic shock of seeing a yeah. zero point uh, ERA like mm-hmm. that just it's it's unthinkable. It's never you know it's never happened. It's mm-hmm. it's just incredible. I mean, to see what have there been ten sub one ERA seasons in history? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you. I mean, if you, I'm looking at Randy Choate's baseball reference page because he's the he's the platonic ideal of a loogie in my head and so his innings totals for the last few years go 36 44 24 38 35 mm-hmm. uh, so i mean even if he even, even if, if he did that for 20 years it's 700 innings yeah <laughs> I, I yeah it's it's hard to imagine um any loogie either deserving to make it or making it, I think, unless he's just has unprecedented longevity and consistency and dominance. Which I guess, I mean, if you if you took a player who could be a great starter and, you know, like Randy Johnson, if you had made Randy Johnson a loogie, mm-hmm. um, that presumably would have been the best that a loogie could be. Uh, he was pretty unhittable for, by left-handed uh, hitters as a starter so and he pitched for 22 years so if you had made randy johnson a loogie and he retired with a, a 3.3 era so let's say that if he had if he had been a loogie all these years mm-hmm. he, he might have had a sub one era possibly um probably not but that's part, yeah, partly because it took him a long while you know a long time to get going mm-hmm. and different era but yeah, I mean, I think that a I think a sub one ERA does it, and anything higher doesn't. I think impossible. And I mean, you'd have to have just such a narrative around you somehow develop otherwise. And I just don't think it's conceivable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to get the the most you could get in turn. Like, so let's see. So Kevin Segrist, for instance, this year threw 40 innings with a .45 ERA, mm-hmm. and his WAR was 1.9. So if you did that for 20 years, you'd still okay. be shy of 60. <laughs> yeah. And that's 0.45. <laughs> that's the lowest DRA in history. Right. That's the lo- Which, by the way, Kevin Segers has the lowest ERA for a season in history. <laughs> well, if you, yeah, if you lower the innings minimum far enough. Well, he had 40 innings, but yeah, of mm. course, that's true. I like Kevin Segers, though. You do like Kevin Segrist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did we answer that? Sub-1 ERA? We're just going with that? Sub-1 ERA for 20-plus years, All maybe. Right. And uh, won the World Series five times. Uh-huh. All right. I mean, and part, of course, part of the problem is that you, you couldn't be a loogie at that level. The, you just you get used more, Yeah. I think. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's almost inconceivable that a pitcher could be that good at retiring lefties and not be expanded beyond that role to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can be that good reliably against lefties, you could probably be as good as, you know, Glenn Perkins overall, and you'd be a closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Michael, uh, maybe a radical idea, but if the NL adopts the DH at some point, what would be the purpose of separate leagues? I say the league should cease to exist. No, no, no more divisions. Top eight teams based on winning percentage make the playoffs with every team playing each other five times. Tiebreaker is head-to-head record, uh, and then second question uh, in this in this premise is what about the All-Star Game? 
so he's a, he's already accepting that we're on board with the premise. What about the All-Star game? Who cares? But I propose the host city elects two legends to draft teams after fan and player votes. The NHL and NFL already do this for their All-Star games, so what do you say? Uh, so two questions. Uh, do you generally like the idea of having all these sort of divisions which create a artificial, um, like, you know, it, it kind of, well, basically it keeps the best teams from getting rewarded and creates all these little micro races that don't actually help you find the best team but make things more interesting. Mm-hmm. Are you in favor of that or do you like the idea of having 30 teams just playing against each other and the best teams win as, you know, uh... if your goal is to find the best team, that's certainly what you would do. Yeah, I I like the the purity of the latter, but it it's sort of hard to imagine that the excitement level would be equivalent, and that ultimately is probably more important. I agree, but doesn't that worry you that you're in a position where you're saying that you like the flaws in the game because they're traditional? Don't you realize mm-hmm. that you are officially half dead at that point? <laughs> well, I like the playoffs, and. We, we already accept that the best teams do not ultimately win the title most years, and I'm okay with that. But imbalanced schedule, Ben. Well, I don't like, I don't like that, no. And, and uh, you know, you have the Tigers winning the World Series last year, and, you know, or going to the World Series in t- 2012, and being worse than the Angels who missed the playoffs. How is that, how is that just, Ben? How is that mm. anything but... A flaw in the system. Well, I mean, you could balance the schedules without getting rid of divisions, right? You could, but you would still have the Angels-Tigers problem, where the Angels don't make the playoffs with 89 wins and the Tigers get to walk in with 88. You'd still have that problem. It seems like that's hard to argue for any reason other than I'm an old man and I like (laughs) things the way they are. Or I'm a young man and this is the only way I've ever (laughs) known them to be. No, you're um, an old man. Okay. If I were an old man, I'd like the, the league's idea better than the division's idea. Because uh, that's what I would have grown up with. Um, True. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not completely fair. I think if you, if you balance the schedules and now that at least there are the, the same number of teams in each division, it's, uh, it's less unfair or it would be less unfair than it used to be. Uh, and I guess it's a it's a level of unfairness that I'm I'm comfortable with, I suppose. Because I mean, even if you, I don't know, what would what would the the stretch run, what would the pennant races look like if it were just top eight teams? You would have, I mean, how many how many? I guess we could sort of look historically and see how many interesting races you would have per season compared to how many we we have had with the, the divisional format. Is that uh, the, is that the, the greatest good? Is that what we're trying to do? Engineer excitement. Uh, we're trying to create arbitrary and artificial <laughs> excitement. Is that what the, the point of competition is? Oh, you're making me feel bad. You're playing devil's advocate very well here. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to an extent. I, I agree that it, it is the that would be a worthy goal if you were good at it, but I'm not sure that we're we're good at it. It's hard to it's hard to engineer excitement. 
Yeah. Although I guess I guess it's worked. Done it in this case <laughs> already. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, really, what would the typical September, late September look like? Do you think? That how would many, be horrible. How many? Yeah. Te- how I mean, yeah, there would be. But I think this is how they do in in like this is how they do it in in like isn't this how they do it in the English Premier League? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. Like I <laughs> think that there's there's one champion. And that ever... one champion gets to go to the Champions League. And I think the same team wins every year, or like the same two right. teams win every year. But they have and relegation, too. They they also, well, so maybe that's all it takes. But I mean, like, I know, I certainly see a lot of people cheering for soccer teams that aren't going to win the, the championship. Yeah. Like, Man, man U, maybe? Or <laughs> that's a that team. one, Liver, yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah. I know people those are, are into Liverpool. Those are both teams. Arsenal is a team. I believe Liverpool is a is a bad team. And uh, I believe that's a popular team. <laughs> uh, we are going to get emails. <laughs> what have you done? All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are there are reasons to watch, but fourth. I think... Liverpool is fourth. Okay. But uh, eh, I don't yeah. know. It, it probably wouldn't be great for attendance or revenue or any of those things. It seems like the theme of this podcast is generally... Uh, been to put more wrenches in the situation and not remove them. So it's just not keeping in character to ask us to simplify and swing. <laughs> I agree that the unbalanced schedule wrench should be removed, though. Do you? Yeah, I think so. I guess. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, the the unbalanced schedule doesn't exist for competition's sake. It exists because it's hard to schedule 2,430 contests. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it just practically, it's a difficult thing to do. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the concessions they have to make to our demands for baseball all, uh, you know, all every day for six months. Yeah. Planes are pretty fast though. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'll let them know. Uh, <laughs> Eric asks, uh, how good would a player have to be to play in the big leagues as a practicing Orthodox Jew. As, uh, as a player who cannot play on holidays, he would miss roughly a third of the season due to not being able to play on Friday evenings and Saturdays, along with four days in April for Passover, two in May for Shavat, and three in September, October for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Would they have to be Hall of Fame caliber? It seems like they'd miss roughly a third of the games and still be taking up a roster spot uh, I imagine it's different if they're a pitcher. What do you guys think? Hmm. Uh, yeah, pitcher would be different because you could at least try to arrange things so that, well, there's, there's not all that much flexibility in a five-man rotation, but you could you, know, you could try. I imagine that you'd get a you'd get a um, an exemption for the roster situation from MLB if Maybe. if it were for religious region, reasons, and in fact, it it could end up being something that a team could find beneficial if they were able to essentially use their triple-A team as a sort of rotating 26th man, knowing that they were going to be able to um, call guys up without having to deal with the sort of 10-day minimums of how long you have to stay down there. And for various reasons, it might actually create a certain level of flexibility that would offset some of the, the pain of not having that player around. So mm-hmm. I, I would presume that's the case. I also wonder um, whether, like, let's say a guy, let's let's just say that he's an average hitter, he's a 100 OPS plus guy. If you gave him this schedule 
instead of the really brutal schedule that Major League Baseball players have to follow. Um, what do you think his OPS plus becomes? Is it still 100, or is he better, and by how much? Uh, well, I don't know. There was a study recently. It might have been Tom Tango or someone who who showed that there is a – I think Russell. it was – no, uh, oh, Russell I, did a thing on on rest. I think the one I'm thinking of might have been MGL, but um, but whatever it was suggested that uh, that there is benefit to taking a day off here and there, and and said that like I like Cal Ripken for example might have really hurt himself in the long run in in the rate statistic category by by never resting, um, but. Uh, I don't know. I would guess it would hurt more than help if we're talking about a third of the schedule. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, it probably would hurt more than it would help. I'm not suggesting it would help more than it would hurt, but I'm not sure. Well, I mean, so Mike Kruko, had, I don't know if he ever stuck with this theory, but I remember him having this idea many, many years ago that um, you're going to, like, you're basically going to lose some t- some players time to injury almost every year for every player it seems like and you're also going to see them sort of wear down because they're playing so much and so his idea was that every player should basically get instead of having them miss two weeks in july because they're they pull a hamstring they should just rotate one week off at a time for just maintenance like every player should get a week off at some point in the season um, and you you rotate it so that hope you know in theory they're not getting hurt as much and you're not missing them unpredictably. And I don't know if that idea has any any merit. I don't know if it actually makes sense. Um, but the I mean he the point that he was making and that I would that I would accept is that you know if you give guys regular rest when they're healthy, mm-hmm. um, you're going to see their injuries drop and they're going to be better ball players. And I I think there's and that seems like something that probably is true. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you're just saying that, like, let's say you're losing a third of this guy's season, which is maybe a win uh, or two or three, depends how good he is, um, and losing a roster spot for some of that time, it would offset somewhat if his performance improved, and it would offset even more if it actually weren't a roster flexibility issue. I think that it would. I would imagine that. Any player who is uh, good enough to make the majors is good enough to make the majors on an Orthodox Jewish schedule. Uh, I disagree. I think if if we're talking about um, no no exemptions, mm-hmm. uh, I mean you wouldn't want to have a, a utility guy who's just <clears throat> unavailable two days a week, right? No, I guess yeah, you wouldn't, but. Um, yeah, I, I guess you would. I mean, there's no way around it. If your value is marginal, then sure, you yeah. you wouldn't. So, uh, how? I don't think you have to be. I'd a say you'd have though. to be an, an above average starter, an above average regular, but not. Uh, but no, not a superstar. Okay, above average regular. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. Let's make this the last one. And I don't know if we actually we just skipped that all star question. By the way, did you notice that? I'll start again. I didn't have anything to say. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, So I don't know how to answer this one. It's a long question that we can't answer. It's from Dan Brooks. And the gist of the question, which 
it's too long and complicated to read. But the gist of the question is basically if teams got to pick which other teams were in their division, uh, which teams they would pick. Mm. And I just thought instead of going through the whole thing and getting very complicated, I just wanted to know if let's say you were a team, let's say you're the you know Red Sox and you they're realigning the divisions and you get to pick the teams that are going to be in your division. What would be the first five teams that you would pick and what would be the last five teams you would pick? And I'm curious to know like kind of what goes through your mind when you're thinking this. Is it strictly market size? Or do you start, I mean, how long-term are you thinking mm. and what goes into it? And this is not a totally irrelevant question because since we do have the unbalanced schedule, I mean, we can all look at next year's schedule and see who's got this sort of raw deal for divisions. But like looking over, say, a 30-year timeline, I wonder how much a team, like let's say hypothetically, Mm-hmm. The Rangers are in a very favorable division, hypothetically, and let's say hypothetically that the Brewers are in a really terrible one. That there's like a real dollar figure to that. You could probably almost calculate it if you really put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what would make for a good division <clears throat> component, sort of structurally? Uh, I guess I'd look for the best combinations of short-term weakness and small market size, right? So my Probably my my top pick would be the Brewers, right? Sorry, Brewers fans, but we've already done an episode where we said that the Brewers were like the the least likely to win a World Series in some time span, um, just between the fact that they are not currently very good and don't have the greatest farm system and have one of the smallest markets. Um, They would probably be my top pick. Uh... Let's see. I mean, obviously you would avoid the biggest, richest teams, I think, no matter how good they are in the short term, though I guess they all are are pretty good in the short term. Um, I don't know. Maybe you'd take, like, the Rockies. Yeah, the Rockies seem like a team where they're... I mean, empirically, it seems that uh, 20 plus years of baseball have taught us that they have a structural disadvantage in their ballpark. Seems like it. It seems like it. I yeah. still, it could be disproven mm-hmm. still. They could disprove it, but it seems like it. Like to me, the Rockies might be, even though the Rockies don't have a bad market, I might pick them just because it's not clear that you can win at altitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I'd probably take, <clears throat> well, I guess the Marlins are an interesting case because I would I would think they'd have to be on the top five as long as Laurie is there. But let's say the Marlins had a great owner all of a sudden. It's not a, a small market, although it's not one that's proven particularly hospitable to baseball, but it's sort of hard to separate that from from the ownership. It's also one that's a lot more likely to move to a good market than, for instance, the Reds are. Like, the Reds are going to be the Reds forever. They're going to be the Cincinnati Reds. But you could see the Marlins or the Rays not being in Florida in 10 years. And then you're maybe you're stuck with, I mean, you don't know where they are, but maybe it's somewhere good. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're the the Brooklyn team or the New Jersey team. Mm -hmm. Um... And then you're dead. Yeah. 
and they also have a lot of good young talent that is coming along. Um, yeah, I, I want to. I mean, my tendency is to want to just completely ignore anything remotely short term because I'm thinking on like a thirty or forty year time time scale. But success well, does breed success. I I don't know how long that lasts. I mean. The, in baseball between the numbers they figured out how much a world series was worth right but i don't know how much of that is still around five years later i mean there's it obviously the the um the effect of success gets weaker the further out you go but a good farm system does i mean as like that piece i wrote last year about the brewers 10 years later carlos going they had the if anybody didn't read it, the Brewers had the best farm system in baseball 10 years ago or maybe 11 now. And I looked at how long it takes for that farm system to just quit producing. And that farm system is still producing it. It uh, produced J.J. Hardy, which produced Carlos Gomez. And now they have like the eighth best player in baseball because of that farm system 11 years later. So mm-hmm. it's and, not. Well, yeah, it is short term actually does mean something for the long term. And it also means a lot if you are if we're talking about a specific person a specific executive who's not going to be around for 40 years with that team uh it's in his or her best interest to to want a team that's bad now because it's more likely to to have success while you're still there right yeah uh okay so so my five i guess i'll take uh take the brewers take the rockies take the Marlins probably. Uh, <clears throat> guess I might take. <sighs> Marlins or Mariners maybe. That's a good market. I like the Mariners market. I wouldn't yeah. want to go up against the Mariners market. Yeah. Padres. I do the Padres. Yeah. Take the Padres and uh, there's just nowhere. There's just nowhere for the Padres to expand. They're just sort of stuck in San Diego. San Diego's never going to get any bigger or any richer or anything other than it is. And Pirates. Sure, you could go Pirates. I was thinking Indians. Yeah. Sure. All right, and then for the the ones you don't want, you just don't want the Yankees and the Dodgers and the no. Yeah, those teams. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, well, send them in for next week. We'll do this again in 167 hours. <laughs> uh, and that's it. Have a good weekend. All right.